We are getting ready to start No Matters. Yeah, you're right. This is 102.3 WHIV. And I'm looking for my No Matters intro right now because everything got changed on my computer. Thank you, Sharapa, as always, for a great show. Covering for Lynn Drury. Um, sorry. Here we go. And Nolan Matters Health as a Human Right starts right now. From 102.3 WHIV in New Orleans and broadcasting around the world at WHIVFM.org. This is Health is a Human Right radio show. Protecting people like yourself I have some news for you We're here to defend wealth I have some news for you We're here to defend wealth Tra-la-la-la A public service announcement with guitar. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIVLP. This is Nolan Matters. My name is Mark Allen Derry. You are listening to Health is a Human Right, and we got a great show scheduled for you today talking about health. Boy, this is about as health as health gets, but I will talk about that in a second. First, let me say that uh, did you know that WHIV is a volunteer-driven community radio station? We are able to honor independent voices with your support. So please stand for human rights and social justice by becoming a member of WHIV today. Monthly memberships are flexible. That could be a buck, five bucks, ten dollars, twenty dollars per month, whatever works for you. Uh, uh, I, I just as somebody who sees what the um, what the uh, monthly memberships are. We do get a lot of 420s, and I do appreciate that. So for those of you that uh, that donate 420 a month, I'm with you, brother and sister. I'm with you, all right? So, or you can uh, represent WHIV with tank tops, uh, T-shirts, fanny packs. We even actually have some cool hats. Uh, thank you, Kenny, for making that happen. And that can all, all be found on our online store. So go to whivfm.org and click support or store. Again, that's whivfm.org. Thank you for helping us to honor independent voices. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. End all wars. This is Health is a Human Right. My name is Mark Allen Derry, and it is such a pleasure and honor to uh, welcome to us today. We have for the hour Dr. Sherry Taylor, and she is the study coordinator for two studies involving treating mental health conditions using psychedelics. Yes, that is psychedelics, and I can't wait to hear uh, more information. There is an email uh, at research at gmail.com. Uh, and so with that, I'd like to uh, introduce Dr. Taylor. Welcome to WHIV. 
Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. So I, I, we were just, right before we went on air, we just started talking. So just give us a quick little bit about yourself before we spend the hour kind of talking about the use of psychedelics in, in, in the treatment of mental health disorders. Sure. I started my career in mental health about 10 years ago, uh, working as a nurse practitioner, mainly prescribing man- medications to patients. And uh, I did that for quite a few years and ended up feeling a little frustrated with it. It's a slow process uh, treating people. You mean SSRIs aren't effective? (laughs) They are for some people and in some cases. But I, I then got my PhD in psychology thinking, you know, if I could focus more on the psychotherapy aspect that 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 may be more helpful. And so I incorporated that and um, didn't really have any experience personally with psychedelics. Uh, but I just happened to see a documentary on Netflix called The Spirit Molecule. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it, that? Is it, it, is it DM, DM, DMT? DMT, right. I didn't even know what DMT was. This okay. was my first sort that was of you your know, experience. So with- you just, so hold on. Let me see. Okay, so you were a nurse practitioner. You were working in New Orleans as, as a general nurse practitioner? I was working in Mandeville. In Mandeville, working in Mandeville, like in a clinic or right. a, got an you outpatient were, clinic. Outpatient clinic, just doing standard lisinopril, Lipitor, you know. Just just mental health. Man, oh, just you were doing just mental, mental health. health. Got it. Okay, so you were doing mental health stuff and then decided, and then obviously realized that the medications that are available to us are just uh, by us cl- clinicians, although I stopped doing uh, primary care, but um, the medications are just, they're not really good. They they are somewhat difficult. Their uh, side effects are difficult, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of sexual side effects with some of the SSRIs, which makes it hard for people to take. Um, and uh, uh, weight gain or uh, just, uh, there's just a lot of problems with the medications. They're not mm-hmm. as good as they, they can be. And when we start talking about some of the, you know, the other disorders such as like schizophrenia and stuff, some of the, some of the other disorders that are really quite severe, uh, some of those medications, which can be somewhat helpful, but people start feeling like they're doing okay and they actually stop taking it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and also the fact that there's a lack of resources, but that's a whole other conversation so mm-hmm. you recognize this I would imagine I don't mean to yeah. put words in your mouth but well, I was I was very curious about it when I saw that you know these substances were being used in this way so I just researched it some more you're and talking about the DMT molecule correct right at this and point th- were you getting a PhD or or I had I had already done that got it and was um, were you doing psychotherapy at this point or? I was uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh I just saw the, it was very interesting to me that you could give someone a substance like DMT, and they talked about other psychedelics in the film as well, right. and just one time, and someone could have this experience that could be so life-changing for them, and you know, I was very curious about that, so I started researching it, and there's actually a lot of information out there, and they've been using these substances for many years. Uh, in in the field of psychiatry, but then they were made illegal in the 70s and 80s, uh, depending on the substance, and the research halted. You right, know? right, so, of course. Uh, then in about 2006, it started up again. Right, it may have been a little earlier, but. Um, I started reading about some of these research studies that were being done, and uh, MAPS is the organization that I first. Um, 
kind of came across. That's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and they've sponsored several research studies. And um, just by a series of events, it was really serendipity that I was able to uh, hook up with Ray Worthy, who is a psychiatrist here in town, and we were able to uh, make New Orleans one of the sites in the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD study. So New Orleans is on the map? It Can't is. That joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> My wife would have snacked me for that one. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, so I was going to ask about the MDMA study. So I guess, uh, is this now a good time to kind of get into that, or should we just sure. kind of come back around to it? Because I would love to hear... Well, Wait, well, sure, we can get into okay, it. Okay, yeah. so well, first before we do that, DMT stands for... Oh, don't ask me. Okay, I was, I, I, I was going to look it up real quickly then. So it's also called the spirit molecule. It's also Correct. like been called the death... Is it also called the death chemical too, or... It, people have experiences of dying. It's... Um, and, and people have mystical experiences. Right. You know, which I guess is a, a spiritual way of saying, you know, ego, dissolution. Right. And I'm just trying to see what DMT stands for because I uh, and I'll, I'll find it. It's like it in a, dimethyltrypto something. Right, right. Yeah, there it is. That's exactly what it is. It's dimethyltryptamine. Yeah. Okay. Dimethyltryptamine. And uh, and that that I, I've heard or I've been told that that is a and there's no way of anybody knowing this, but is that that's a chemical that is released? Some people say as people are dying. Theoretically, that's that's what you know. I think that's the theory that that when it's. I think made in the pineal gland. Okay. There's not really much known about it. Right. But uh, when people are born and when they die, evidently, is when there's a surge of this um, hormone, hormone, probably if it's yeah. made in the pineal gland, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then so the history of it is that somebody learned how to, like, what is the history of it? I forgot because I did see the documentary, but now I'm trying to. Well, Rick Strassman was the doctor that was studying it, and he he received permission to give it to people IV this substance and um, in a clinical setting, you know. And the experiences that people had were just, you know, they would have these experiences of being able to leave their body and um, similar to a near death experience almost. Right. Well, you know how people report similar experiences. Right. With some that. sort of strong dissociative mm -hmm. experience or. And then they come back from it feeling um, like they can see their, their life from a new perspective and feel differently about things. And it seems to be really life changing for people. So then how does one then take a practice of um, kind of psychotherapy and develop it into a practice of DMT. I mean, do you? Well, we don't we don't use DMT yet. I, I haven't been fortunate enough to be involved in one of those research studies. The research studies that we have here are using MDMA, and then we have another one using psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms. Right, which was just recently made legal either in Colorado or in Denver. Right, in Denver. In Denver, right, yeah. And also, I think, in uh, California, in Oakland. In Oakland, yeah, I think I did read that as well. Yeah, like... The, the thing that is like, yes, things that grow from the ground as a result of a seed being planted, that is made illegal. How could that be illegal? You know, I can understand developing a chemical substance. I can barely wrap my head around that, but I understand that. But like mm -hmm. something that grows from the ground, you know, in a pile of manure at, at that, I 
don't understand how that would be deemed illegal, right. but uh, well, it's a similar th- thing with marijuana. Too, yeah, of course, you know? that's that's what I'm saying. Those are the yeah. two substances that mm-hmm. I, I actually had in mind. So, how do these studies? So, so your interest then became what? How did you start to get interest? What, what did you start doing? Well, I I happened to see a presentation that Dr. Worthy and one of the neuroscientists from MAPS gave, and they were talking about the results from um, the phase two study with MDMA and they they in the use of for to treat PTSD PTSD okay Mm -hmm. and so the way that the the protocol is we we give MDMA three times to people and it's a month apart from each other and it's just a one time we give it to them we we do psychotherapy with them for about eight hours whoa and then so you give a do, like you have a measured dose mm-hmm. and let me ask yes. you about this so i promise i'll get back to that sure how do you like obviously there has to, like what's the regulation the licensing behind something like this like and and do you get just mdma in the mail like is it like <laughs> and do you have to measure it out yourself or does it come in pre like like i'm just curious like yeah. how does that stuff come well you have to have a schedule one license so, okay, so that takes Worthy forever to schedule get. one license order okay. yes there's a lot of red tape involved <laughs> Sure. You can imagine. <laughs> yes. And, the, you know, the security, we have to have our our site inspected by the DEA and we right. have motion. So you have a clinic. You have a clinic somewhere. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, of course, you have there. There's regulation because you're going to keep MDMA on the premises. Right. So the DEA thinks, you know, it's better, you know, like, let's let's obviously keep the place as safe as possible so that nobody can mm-hmm. come in and try to. Take it, but I imagine taking MDMA from you. Sometimes it's just easier just to go to a rave and right. like get some. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're not busting into a doctor's office. To like, <laughs> but I understand there's rules and regulations. So schedule one that that's red mm-hmm. tape, and then setting the the perimeter or setting the clinic up so that right. you can have the substance, and then you probably have to keep it in a safe room. Yeah, under it's conditions temperature controlled and it comes to us in these blister packs and because half of our pers- our participants receive placebo so it's a control it's a double blind study right okay right and so they're just in these nondescript blister so you packs. do you know is it are is it's, it's blinded it's blinded as but much as know, it can be but, with mdma right but we, you know who's we feel it, i it, it's you What's know, the word you guys use? You guys say tripping, or what do you guys say? We we call it a trip. Okay, mm-hmm. so you say tripping. Okay, mm-hmm. so, uh, so you'll know who somebody if, if they've been if they've been affected by the MDMA or not. We think we know. You know, okay. but you can't ever be well, 100% I mean, sure. But the placebo uh, effect is a thing, you know. So some people may feel like they're experiencing something. Right. i actually been reading studies that, 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 that there is a, from the medical perspective, that there is a new way of thinking about placebo. I, you know, I came up in the 80s and did my medical education in the 90s. And in the 80s and the 90s, placebo was like, whoa, you know, you do not give somebody an aspirin when you're telling them you're giving them an antibiotic and stuff like that. But it almost seems like there's this new, and I haven't really dived, you know, kind of delved into the research that much, but it almost seems as though there's a new way of thinking of placebo that's a little bit more accommodating. Well, which is, well, if somebody gets better and they think that they're taking something, why is that doing harm? Like, and I think in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the ethicists were like, that's bad. You have to tell somebody what they're taking and that's it. And I think that now people, it seems like people are softening about placebo. Is that your experience as well? Or Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, the mind is a powerful thing. And if people are getting better, I, I mean, 
I do struggle a little bit with the ethics of it because it, it we do feel like we can tell if someone has taken the medicine and when they when we feel that they have potentially received placebo, we're looking at, you know, hours and hours of psychotherapy. That means that they're going to receive placebo for the all three right. sessions and do eight hours of psychotherapy on placebo. And it, it, you know, there's, I mean, there's a reason that MDMA is, is being studied for this. I mean, it's very helpful to for people to do therapy right. that have trauma that are trying to work with trauma right, right. mdma almost seems to be the perfect substance for it just because of the way it, it decreases what's happening in the amygdala it it elicits these hormones that that help with trust like, like oxytocin um it, what's happening in the frontal lobe is is more online and memories are able to sort of be consolidated in a, an appropriate way. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to be using it. And, you know, and when, when you, you are using placebo with somebody, uh, somebody that could otherwise benefit from it, that's right. always the problem with the, these controlled unblinded studies. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV LPFM uh, in New Orleans. We are Radio Nola HIV with programming dedicated to human rights and social justice. We have on uh, today on the Nola Matters Health is a Human Rights Show, uh, Dr. Sherry Taylor, uh, who is the study coordinator for two studies involving uh, uh, and, and uh, including, I'm sorry, involving treating uh, mental health uh, conditions using uh, psychedelic uh, psychedelics. Um, and more information can be found at info at nolaresearch at gmail dot com. Um, Dr. Taylor, I, 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 the um, just to kind of like when you have somebody that you are working with somebody and they um, are. Um, they are likely in the group of um, uh, that that receive the MDMA. What what do you the, what do you see? Like what is that eight hour journey? Because it's it's got to be a pretty. What's how do how do the dosages work? I mean, do you, do people is it weight based dose or is it? No, it's not weight based. We start with. Uh, for the first session, we start with an 80 milligram dose, and then an hour and a half in, we give a 40 milligram boost. We call it a booster dose, which just sort of extends the duration of the treatment. Because the half life of the drug is like a it's few hours, short. like four hours, mm -hmm. or two hours, or yeah. By by the end of the eight hours, they're feeling you know pretty much back to themselves. Got it. And uh, we do that for the first session, and then for the second and third session, they have the option to go up to 120 milligrams and a 60 milligram booster. And we all discuss it, you know, after the the first uh, session. And so in each session, in all of the sessions, even the preparatory sessions and the integration sessions, which I can describe those if you'd like. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's there's uh, there's two therapists, a male and a female. I was going to ask. Okay. Which is really helpful and for a lot of different reasons. You know, it, one of the, the, the big things with this type of therapy is that the client really needs to feel safe and they sure. need to feel, you know, it's all about the set and the setting. So they need to be in a setting where they can sort of let go and surrender to the process. And it seems to be easier to do that when there's, you know, two people and um, a male and a female. It also it helps with transference, you know, which is bringing up things that may have happened with your mother or father, with uh, some things in your childhood. You can project these onto 
one of the, one or the other of the therapists and um, work through issues in that way. So in that process, then is the other therapist kind of like the like in that process of transference? It, it, are they trying to block that, or are they trying? Like, what are the dynamics that are involved? No, there we we try to allow for whatever is coming up and to work with whatever's coming up, and so we encourage people to be curious about, you know, we call it the inner healing intelligence. And, you know, because we don't really know what healing will look like for each individual, but there's something inside all of us that will move towards healing if given the opportunity. Yeah, I agree So we with really that. encourage, you know, So that. let's, I guess let's take a step back. Who qualifies for the study? What, what, what are the, what's the inclusion process? Well, for that study, it is uh, severe PTSD. So from any source? Well, it needs to be, uh, there needs to be an index trauma. So either someone has been, um, their life has been at risk or they saw someone else, you know, with their life in danger or a sexual assault. Um, So some, like would a, like a returning veteran from conflict. Got it. So some, or somebody who was in a terrible accident that may have lost a loved one or something. So, and then how do you, and then is there a scale of PTSD that they need to meet? Like X amount of, you know, anxieties or bad dreams, or I, I, I'm not a a, a health or mental health person. So I don't know. That's correct. We look at the symptoms, how, how much are the symptoms affecting the person's life? Um, and then we have, uh, on this particular study, we have outside raters, and these are psychologists that do some psychometric testing on each of the participants. Aha, uh-huh. so, so this way you're removed from actually, be, uh, that removes makes sense. The bias. Yeah, yeah, of mm-hmm. course, because of y- you as the person who's conducting the study may want to bring as many people into the study, and so you may interpret something to that would lean in favor of them kind of qualifying for the study. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, and, and how many people qualify, how many people apply and then and that ultimately get qualified roughly? Like, Well, it, for example, we've screened uh, a little over a hundred people uh, at this site and we have, I think five enrolled. Got it. So, so wow. It's, so it's pretty intense. Yeah. Huh? There, there are a lot of, you know, we do a full kind of battery of, of just, a physical assessment, blood work, EKG. So there, there are a lot of you know different um, points during the screening process that people could potentially become ineligible. Got it. Mm-hmm. So and then there is a certain criteria they have to meet, a uh, certain amount of kind of however we want to severe PTSD or right. moderate PTSD or something. Then they are brought in uh, and then they're given um, the MDMA. We do a lot of pr- uh, preparatory work sure. it, but just prior to the trip because we want, um, you know, people to, well, like I said, people have to feel safe. And in order to do that, they have to, you know, develop a rapport with the clinicians and feel safe in the space people with PTSD often have a hard time feeling safe and we are actually asking them to put on eye shades and headphones we play music and we ask them to go inside to their inner experience 
And for someone with PTSD, putting on eye shades, covering their eyes and their ears can be very scary. And so this is something that, you know, it's a process of getting them to that point where they can feel like, yes, I I can, I trust you guys. I trust that you're holding the space for me and I can, I can do this and go there. And uh, so that's sort of what we're preparing for. And then we encourage that throughout that eight hour therapy day. We're encouraging them to go inside is what we call it. And can you give a thumbnail sketch of what happens over the course of the eight hours? Sure. It's it's different for everyone. So some people will spend a lot of time inside their inner experience and, you know, we'll check in with them like they're just once an hour or something. Oh, really? So you're just sitting there and right. they're just have and, music on. Right. Do they select the music they have no, on? No, we, we have a playlist that we select. Um, and it's music that it's classical music, music that it evokes emotion, could be drumming, some tribal music. Um and, you know, we just are very present. They're in it lying in a bed, and there's one of, uh, you know, myself or one of the – and the male therapist, on, we're on either side of the bed. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can see tears coming out of people's eyes, or you can notice that their breathing is changing, and you notice that, that you can tell that there's an experience happening for them. And then when they – you know, occasionally people will take off the eye shades and the headphones and, and tell us, you know, what, what's happening. And, uh, people sometimes have these insights about their particular trauma that maybe they didn't have before, or they might remember pieces of the trauma that had been lost to them and they're, they're able to process it in new ways. And we sort of mirror that for them. And, um, you know, help them to kind of make sense of their experience. I mean, and that's the whole point of the use of, of psychedelics uh, in the treatment, at least in this case of, uh, or at least the use of MDMA in the case of uh, moderate or severe uh, PTSD is that there will be some new insight that will help somebody kind of begin that process of inner healing or mm -hmm. facilitate it or, you know, that sort of stuff probably never ever goes away, but you know. Right. Well, the interesting thing about this this type of work is that people seem to get better even after after it's ended. So with the phase two, and we did a an open label study um, before we did this phase three study, and there we do a twelve month follow up with people. So they complete the 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 three MDMA sessions, all the integration sessions, and then what's a, an integration an integ session? That's where we help them process their experience. Uh, okay. Is that outside of the right? We session? do that between the the Got MDMA it. sessions. Mm -hmm like once a week, but bef between each session. Sure. And, uh, and then after a year out, you know, we'll, we'll follow up with them and see how they're doing. And, you know, so far, many people are even there, they continue to improve, which, you know, is interesting because it sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, the, these insights that people have, they're able to kind of develop them and they, they strengthen and people continue to get better without having to take, you know, an antidepressant every single day. And they don't hope, you know, we hope that they don't have to go back on antidepressants. Right, right, right. And, and, and what is it that you guys are measuring? Are you finding like in these, you know, year out, are you finding out that the 
you know, that if there was a baseline scale that measured PTSD, are you finding That's out? That's what we use. You're finding out that mm-hmm. those that those, um, those numbers go down. Those numbers go down. And we see the suicidality go down as well, which is interesting. And just anecdotally, that's one of the things that I've noticed, you know, most people that are suffering with PTSD, you know, suicide. I mean, if you think about it, 22 veterans kill themselves every day. Right. And that's just staggering. And, you know, when people are suffering with PTSD, suicidality is a very common thing. And when they come into our study, you know, that's something that they've been dealing with often for many years. And that goes away. Right. I mean, that's, that's an amazing, you know, marker right there. Do you think that we could get to a time where the use of MDMA would be utilized like this? I mean, it just seems like that it seems like we're going backwards in a lot of elements in our society. Um, a lot of social elements. Uh, um, uh, but I just, I mean, I, I have a hard time. I've, I've been following some of this research kind of from afar, just mostly just kind of, you know, reading a, a title and then jumping to the conclusion and seeing what the conclusions are. And it just seems like the, the needles moving forward a little bit more every time I, you know, kind of catch up on the use of MDMA in the setting of, uh, of mental health disorders. But I just have a hard time thinking that, and I, I'm sure MDMA is a Schedule One, or is this scheduled? It's a Schedule, Schedule One. How is it that that the federal government, who's refusing to remove marijuana even off of a, as a Federal One drug, which is ridiculous, and you know, and I've been following a lot of those studies because I, that is something that is somewhat you know uh, pertains to my my field, which is HIV, um, but. You know, the studies that are so fascinating that I lecture and I love lecturing other doctors about this and watching them get so riled up about it. But I love showing the data that in in states in which there has been uh, not only medical marijuana, but recreational marijuana, there's significant decreases not only in in opioid overdoses, but of course in opioid prescriptions that are written. And it's almost like in a stepwise manner. The, it's it you know the suit the overdoses go down just a little bit for medical marijuana and they go down a lot of it for recreational marijuana and the the implications are very clear in that uh, the use of marijuana is being substituted for which uh, as far as I know uh, the number of overdoses and and before I was an infectious disease doctor I was an ER doctor and I've said this a million times um, every shift that I worked in the emergency room. I saw uh, tobacco related injuries, either in the form of strokes or uh, heart attacks uh, or what have you, or alcohol related injuries in the form of fights or acute uh, alcohol intoxication and possible overdose. But I've never seen a case of acute stonedness because when you get stoned, you eat a Twinkie. And then you typically go to sleep afterwards. So, so when you see these these dramatic epidemiologic studies that show that there is a significant um, decrease in opioid overdoses in states that have um, uh, legalized marijuana, you see the Department of Justice, you know, or like you know Jeff Sessions before he got fired, uh, was still like, I'm going after all of those states that have legalized marijuana. So before you answer your question, let me just say this. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. My name is Mark Allendary, and we are talking to Dr. Sherry Taylor on today's uh, episode of NOLA Matters, Health is a Human Right, and we're talking about the use of psychedelics to treat mental health uh, disorders. So even if you show in your studies that, um, and you're involved in a clinical trial that probably involves, it's a multi-site clinical trial that's regulated by the DEA, um, 
are you guys hopeful that if you do show positive effects that you will see a shift in how uh, we're able to treat some of these disorders? Yes, we are hopeful of that if the studies, you know, play out. And the the FDA has granted us breakthrough therapy status for both the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD and also for psilocybin in the treatment of uh, treatment-resistant so, depression. Yeah, we'll get to psilocybin next, yeah. I promise and you. And so once you're designated with breakthrough therapy status, it, you know, you're sort of on the fast track for approval. The uh-huh. FDA is okay. recognizing this is a potential treatment, you know, that, that could be useful. So we're hoping that in 2021, if the results continue as they have been, right. that it will be. Who, who's making these medications? Uh, well, MAPS is, uh, they've contracted with a pharmaceutical company to supply the MDMA. Okay. It's uh, been around for a long time. So, you know, there's, there's the patent on it has run out. There's not really a, a monetary incentive for companies to huh. manufacture it. Right. Um, and then psilocybin, that uh, the molecule that's responsible for the mystical experience or the trip, that's been isolated by a, another pharmaceutical company called Compass Pathways, and they're sponsoring the study that for uh, treatment-resistant depression. Cool. So we'll we'll get to that in a quick okay. second. So uh, use of MDMA uh, has in previous trials, obviously for you're in a we're in a phase three right now, right? Correct. If we're in a phase three, that means phase one, and phase two. We're successful. We've seen uh, sig- you know a significant, or at least we've seen positive indications that the use of MDMA uh, is helpful in reducing people's uh, in reducing post traumatic stress disorders. How many people are you looking to enroll? We will do an interim analysis probably at the end of this year, so then we'll get the final numbers of how many people we need, but it'll probably be somewhere around two to 300. Around the country. Around the world, actually. We have a site in Israel um, and uh, I believe uh, in Europe, so there's, and in Canada. And how are you able to get around local laws? Uh, Do the federal laws supersede? If you, ha- if you have a Schedule One research, it's called a research license, right. then you're able to uh, do research with these substances, um, and it's approved. And it's, and it's approved and got mm-hmm. it. What have been, in terms of the MDMA, what have been some of the insights have you have seen that either surprised you or that you've really kind of taken a step back and, and really recognized that this was something new or potentially helpful? I would say uh, one of the things that's been very interesting to me is that people will recall things about their trauma that they had no memory for. So it's it's as if, you know, these memory, memories are being pulled and, and then they're able to sort of uh, consolidate them in a way that is more useful and um, is healing for them. Um, also the way that, you know, for an, just an example, a veteran, um, that we had joined the study, he, you know, had such strong feelings towards Iraqis and during his MDMA session, he was able to see things from their point of view. And he would say things like, you know, oh, I, I see why they didn't want us there. And his the way that he wow. felt completely shifted. <laughs> wow. and, and it was so healing And was for that him. sustainable? Yes. Like, yes. wow. So that must have been a whole, yeah. Well, I have pacifist it, 
written on my so like I we we need to do that for the entire military. <laughs> yeah. Um wow, that's amazing. You know, that I've always said that the world would be happier if we had MDMA in the drinking water. <laughs> like, <laughs> like for fluoride or something. You know, and it also helps people find the compassion and love for themselves that that they, you know, maybe have been lacking and often people that have experienced trauma, they can, you know, turn a lot of those, um, the judgment towards themselves and feel a lot of just self-blame and, right. and self-hatred and on this medicine that right. it, the experience is one of, you know, kind of forgiveness and finding, you know, compassion and right. it, that's so healing. For and people. this is also sustainable as well. Like these, these insights people have are not just momentarily. There are insights that people are going to carry with them. Uh, it's yes. like, so I kind of like, you know, when I went to, I went to Haiti a couple days after the big earthquake in, 10, in 2010. And I myself actually came back um, after, you know, uh, after three weeks of being there, really seeing some really horrific stuff. I was there as an ER and ID doctor. And, um, and I came back and I had, you know, uh, what, what a, a colleague of mine who's a psychiatrist said, you definitely have PTSD. And like a Tulane was waiting. It was I came back and it was like right on the Super Bowl. And it was like Mardi Gras was happening. And so I was waiting to go see the, the um, psychiatrist. But um, uh, the Tulane psychiatrist to kind of kind of walk me through the process, and fortunately things got better. Blah blah blah. But I remember like I was like I'm not going back to Haiti, and my wife was very much insistent on that I would go back regularly because I would make new Haiti memories. So my only my memories of Haiti are not the memories that were the ones that you know. So now when I think back about my multiple trips to Haiti, I, there's so many other things for me to remember rather than that that really horrific experience that I had and, yeah. and so uh, so to a certain degree I would imagine that that is and, and I carry that with me and I would imagine that's not unlike uh, you know it's probably a very minor effect but somewhat like what some of your uh, patients may have experienced as well yeah and to a large degree the drug is kind of lifting the veil of some of the stuff that maybe people have repressed so many years ago. Right. And also helping people to develop new neural pathways. And, you know, it, it, you can kind of compare some of these, the, the thoughts that the, the ruminations that happen in people that are depressed or that have, you know, experienced trauma. The it's, it's like going uh, up a mountain and sledding down the same sort of path over and over again it becomes very well worn and you go up that mountain and that's just naturally the way you're going to go and with these substances these psychedelics people are able to develop new pathways and so and they're able to sort of see okay wait I have a choice I can I can try to really develop and strengthen this other way that I've now seen and so it does take work and that's what we do in integration is we try to you know help people find ways to you know, really remember the experience that they had on the on the substance, and and go back to it again and again, and try to develop these new neural pathways. How did how, how did why MDMA? I can understand, and I definitely want to ask about microdosing, and I definitely want to get into the psilocybin stuff. But how was because I remember there were studies that I seem to remember out of the UK, maybe that started like ten or fifteen years ago, and yeah. um, but like how how do you know why? What ha did somebody experience MDMA or a clinician and they, they it helped themselves and they're like this I'm going to do this for other people I mean is that how that kind of went about or well there's a researcher from the UK Robin Carhart Harris who's sort of I think he and David Nutt started the 
the resurgence of this kind of work. And I think it just came from, you know, he wanted to see, we had the capability of fMRI. fMRI. Yeah, functional MRI, I think is so what it's called. So I think it's as... As people are thinking, they can see what's they can happening see in their brain, the in, right in in lifetime, in real yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and and just being curious about trying to get at what's happening in people's you know subconscious. I mean, it's there. It's a you know they say that our what's unconscious it's like an iceberg, and what's unconscious is the what's below the water, and what's conscious is just the tip. And so there's so much there, and being able to to work with it, the, I think he he sort of saw that some of these substances could be useful. And then when he looked at giving them to people, and then looking at their brain, you know they, they it was interesting what they saw. I think he he started with uh, psilocybin, I believe, and you know, just seeing that it didn't, it didn't look the way that they had suspected that it would look. And, um, they've just been able to make a lot of advances, I think, in trying to figure out how these substances work and how having these mystical experiences seem to, you know, help change people's, uh, views of, of their life. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I learned when, when I was, uh, and, and I remember when I was in college was, um, and studying, I think it was either archaeology or it was sociology, and we were studying ancient societies. One of the things that we learned was that almost every society, every ancient society, had some element of some, you know, mystical kind of. There was some drug, or there was something. So the idea of using psychedelics goes back probably like the origins of humanity. Um, right. And the, the there was a culture that was like somewhere like in central Mexico. I remember. And there was, they found remains of like a Bophomeranius frog, and the Bophomeranius mm-hmm. is the humped frog that um, that has that uh, that, and I forget what the exact uh, drug that is delivered. It's five MAO DMT. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they found you know remains of a Bophomeranius frog somewhere where that frog would never be living. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's like. There's no way on a mountain, you know, <laughs> like, so obviously the frog was brought there and that frog was very, you know, the scientists believe that, that frog was brought there as a form of spiritual enhancement because every society has had something like that except for ours. And before we get into psilocybin one, just want to pick your brain. Why has there been such a strong um, rejection by the American in the American culture of psilocybin. I mean, I, 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 I yeah. So psilocybin, LSD, marijuana, what have you. MDMA. Well, I think a lot of it happened, you know, back during the while Vietnam was going on, and you know, the the hippie generation um, and the Afro Afro American culture. You know, the marijuana and some of these these things were very popular, and it was a way, I think, for the government to. Um, you know, sort of shut down that activism and people saying, look, I mean, because if you take some of these psychedelics, you, it's just, you just don't want to go to war there. It's counterintuitive. And so, you know, what's the best way to, to get people to, you know, stop being activists, put them in jail for marijuana, 
Um, or yeah, there's no doubt that, that Nixon was and some of Nixon's uh, cabinet members uh, also admitted and freely that they did use the war on drugs to shut down activists uh, and hippies and lefty liberals yeah. and stuff. But and a lot of misinformation was put out there, too. Right. You know, there was a, a book and I, I wish I had looked it up before it came out. It was Johan. Something that was called like the silent scream or something. I don't know if you ever read about it, but he talks about how when um, the uh, the pro- the prohibition had stopped, the equivalent of the um, kind of the DEA or or no, is like what's the the AT, ATF ATF like arms tobacco firearms. and firearms right the ATF that the equivalent of that entity in the 1920s 1930s they had to shut down their whole alcohol arm and so that they were starting to look for something they they were a bunch of dudes that were like probably the same dudes that you see now you know and uh that are in ice or whatever and that they that they started looking for other entities uh and they were uh, you know he documents a lot of racist and anim- a lot of racial animus as well and uh and then of course marijuana was a low-hanging fruit and then after that you saw the development of LSD, I think, in the fifties, mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, um, you know, mushrooms were uh, been available forever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of fear surrounding some of these substances too, because you know, I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of fear about dying in most people, and these substances can you, you can feel like you're dying, and sure. you do have an ego death oftentimes, i.e., a bad trip. Right. It could or, be. It could right. be. Um, I know that when I was growing up, I was told that, you know, if you took mushrooms or LSD or did any of these things, that you would go crazy. You would yeah. end up. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Ten hits of acid and you would be uh, you would go crazy. You know, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, so, so there's a lot of fear surrounding them, and people just don't know. Sure. So uh, if you're tuned in, you're listening to Health is a Human Right. This is Noel Matters. My name is Mark Allendary. I'm talking to Dr. Sherry Taylor, uh, who is a study coordinator for two studies involving treating mental health uh, conditions using psychedelics. And more information can be found if you're interested uh, to hear more about the study at info dot nola research at gmail.com dr taylor i know you have another study using psilocybin and i think i cut you off you said use it for refractory depression treatment resistant depression so okay. people that have been treated uh with this particular study is specific to having failed two to four pharmacological treatments and do you guys depression. need to document the, like you have to get medical records right. to show so yes. is it like multiple ssris or multiple different classes so like wellbutrin and prozac and could, uh, you know right, or all, could, of all, okay, all of the above okay got it mm-hmm. so treatment resistant is considered four or more Two to two or more. Two or more, uh, and and then are you measuring depression on a scale like you are PTSD as well? We are. Uh-huh. It's it's a similar uh, type of you know protocol in the way that we have a an outside rater rate Gun, okay. the, do some Smart. psychometric testing, right. and then for that study it's a little shorter uh, duration. It it's about nine weeks, and the, we just give psilocybin one time, and we're comparing uh, the studies looking at. Which dose is the most effective? Uh, is it phase two then, or it's a phase two? Uh-huh. Okay, right. So you have multiple doses, and then so somebody again takes. Is it the same thing? Bed, eye shades, same thing. music, same playlist, or? Uh, different playlist, okay. and it's a little different experience for people. Uh, people tend to spend more time in their inner experience, and their. Um, psilocybin you know is is a true psychedelic people will uh feel 
sometimes like they're leaving their body or like they're dying and they'll see, you know, um, all kinds of different things. So, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a hallucinogen, yes. right? Yes. So they'll hallucinate. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then again, another eight hour process and you guys are, there's two right. people and they're, you're sitting, you're and are you guys just watching them? And in the interim, are you, t- I'm sure you're taking notes, collecting data. Right. Do you, are you like looking at vitals and stuff like that? We, well, we or? do vitals at the beginning and for the MDMA, study we'd take them again before we give the supplemental dose got it, and then again at the end got it got it and then uh at that point uh you do you have the the dose there's probably not a control group because you're looking at doses right now right. and then uh what happens then the measurement then the data you collect is on repeat clinical visits Right. So you guys are just, and then they go to an outside radar probably, right, to do that? or Well, it's it's done at, at our site, but right. it's done by an outside radar. Got it. So you're the, you're the, the clinician that's actually walking in somebody in the session. Right. So that this way you're not particularly uh, collecting the, the data later Correct. to remove any bias. Yes. Of course, that makes all the sense in the world. So have you talked to anybody after they've gone through a session with the psilocybin, or do we know what that data looks like, either from your own data or if you can talk about it or what previous studies have shown? Well, it, we just started this the screening for this study, so we have, haven't Got it. I haven't seen someone go through the the study here, but as part of my training, I was able to go to London and they had a healthy volunteers study at Imperial College, and so I was able to give a healthy volunteer psilocybin, and uh, you know that was sort of part of my training. My trainer was there and and supervised me, and then gave me feedback. And um, there's there's quite a, a lot of training involved, I'm even sure. though it's non non directive therapy. But we are trying to help people to be uh, in the present moment and be with whatever's coming up, you know, not run away from it, but move in and through is what, is what we say. And, and, you know, to trust and let go and be open. We're trying to encourage this. Um, so, but what, you know, just what the, what the medicine does for people is it stops uh, the ruminating, which is the sort of the negative loop that, that often people that are depressed play in their mind, this story of, you know, not being good enough or, um, you know, having to, to use substances to feel better and, and not feeling worthy and all of these sort of things. It stops that for the time period that they're taking the medicine and they're able to just having that brief sort of reprieve from that can help people even afterwards when they find that maybe they are getting back into that that looped pattern that they can sort of remember ah oh, wait this it d- doesn't have to be like this i've seen that it doesn't have to be this way so but that's to a large degree what self medicating is right i mean to a, you know so i have two questions here one okay. is what's the difference between somebody doing that and then getting drunk right i mean and then two you're also poking a huge hole in the theory that depression is also a potential chemical uh, or neurotransmitter uh, 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 deficiency as well. So, right. you know, if you want to talk about those two sure. things. Well, I think the difference in taking psilocybin and using alcohol is Or that, marijuana or... Right. or Mm-hmm. anything else right so. is that you have to keep continuing to do it to get back to that state but with 
using psilocybin in this way in a therapeutic context where, you know, you have a, a support people and then people to help you kind of integrate your experience. People don't have to do it again. And is this where, so a potential one-time dose right. of psilocybin could potentially cure refractory or at least diminish or improve refractory depression? Correct. That's that's the potential that in the is, theory. It's remarkable. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. All right. So is I'm assuming then that this is a an element of how microdosing works and maybe you can explain to our listeners what microdosing is. Okay. Microdosing is when you take uh, one of these substances like psilocybin or LSD uh, on a regular basis, but it's such a small amount that you don't, uh, you don't really feel it. You know, you can go about your everyday life and you don't feel like you're tripping, but it's enough of the substance to uh, make these connections in the brain. And so it's thought that with psilocybin and LSD, that new connections are being made between parts of the brain that weren't there before. And so by taking it, you know, on a regular basis that, that this will help people as well with depression. So they're doing studies on that too right now. And have you, I've seen, and I've also heard from people that microdosing uh, is also somewhat that's very effective uh, as well. Uh, And I've seen it in treatment of depression. That's what it looks like so far, you know, from the studies that I've read, it seems to be, uh, but I think they've just started researching it and all of these things really are just beginning to sort of come back around. Right. It seems like we are more tolerant as a society for this uh, as well. There's a desperation, you know, Uh I mean, the the mental health problem is so huge and so many people are affected by it. Everyone knows someone that's, that's their life is being affected Probably by multiple. Yes. Right. And so I think the desperation is at that level where, uh, you know, we're just, we're willing to try things that maybe we weren't open to trying right. before. So the same author I was talking about before also followed up his book. And again, I wish I had his name, but he was talking about, um, how the understanding of depression is completely wrong and we you know how it has been simplified to a lack of serotonin and hence these serotonin reuptake inhibitors that were developed um and it it almost seems as though and he what he was arguing was that a culture of um you know somewhat of toxicity of food poverty basically what we refer to now social determinants of health is what is leading folks toward depression and this is why we've seen a spectacular failure of a lot of these medications um so but what we're talking about here though is the use of LSD in the form of microdosing or psilocybin in the form of microdosing um or psilocybin once in in the in a clinical setting is improving people's mental health outcomes that to me just flies in the face of this whole idea of depression being a uh, an issue regarding neurotransmitter uh, deficiency yes it does and that's you know what i was taught in my education and you know i it, i was never even taught or it was never mentioned that psychedelics used to be used in psychiatry and thousands of patients were were treated in this way i didn't even know that right and i just was taught that you know this is this is a you know a problem with the neurotransmitters in the brain and we're going to correct it by giving these uh these medications and there's really no way to even know which ssri is going to be helpful for which person it's a trial you know you just try things and um that's a crazy way to like practice medicine you know (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you were saying that it, it, that's what got us. That's to- what that's what sort of got me a little frustrated with it. I mean, sure. there is a you know, I do think that they're helpful. Some of these uh, antidepressants can be helpful in a lot of different instances, especially in the acute setting, you know, where where someone's suicidal and you just need to get them out of this state that they're in. But but overall, you know, I I just wasn't that that thrilled with the outcomes. And and you're finding that some of these outcomes, hopefully, will the work that you're doing, which is you are a um, a you're doing a phase three trial with the um, uh, with MDMA in the setting of uh, PTSD, as well as a phase two trial uh, using psilocybin for refractory depression. And I think that's that's great. Are you also doing clinical work as well, or are these? I, I just do this now. Wow. It, well, I don't want to do anything else. I'm Got really it. passionate about it. It's it's given me sort of a newfound passion for this field. Yeah. I, I see the the results you right. know and is there a group here in new orleans that kind of like is there like a professional group of folks that meet and work together and and kind of well on on our team that's that's doing these two studies mark skelly he's a psychologist and he's uh involved mesa alavi she's a family practice doctor ray worthy he's a psychiatrist and zoe hipples is our nurse uh where we sort of work on these uh, two research studies, but we have started a psychedelic society of New Orleans, and they have them in most major cities. But we meet once a month. We meet on the second Thursday of each month, and we have a, a Facebook group where we post articles and have discussions, and we basically just talk about you know psychedelics and altered states, which can be achieved in many ways other than psychedelics, like breath work, dance, meditation. There's a a lot of other things. And, you know, we're sort of interested in all of those. Right. And that brings us back, I guess, to DMT, which is the ultimate. uh, um, And and has there been any trials with the use of DMT at all uh, in Uh, a clinical setting? Yes. MAPS is... uh, MAPS has done some, they've looked at ayahuasca, which is uh, DMT. Is ayahuasca DMT? Yes. Really? I did not know that. Maybe I did know that, but... Uh... There's different ways that you, so ayahuasca, you it's mixed, uh, you know, two plants are mixed together so that it can be absorbed in the gut. Uh, you can also smoke DMT and then then it, that I think that's more, uh, you know, fast acting and a shorter... Uh, trip got it got it yeah the the, um the what i have heard uh from friends who have taken dmt's like it's a 15 minute like kind of a very deep personal experience like like you described and and some people kind of get to the other side with some pretty remarkable um kind of insights about themselves that seem to be somewhat sustainable uh, and long-lasting and so the use of psychedelics in the treatment of mental health disorders is really just never-endingly fascinating we have another minute or so is there something that you would like to leave us on or what kind of knowledge drop you know what kind of mic drop knowledge can you give us right now (laughs) well i just like to you know put it out there that anyone that's suffering with ptsd or depression that hasn't responded to traditional treatments please give us an email at info.nolaresearch at gmail.com we are enrolling participants in these two studies and 
you know, I'd, I'd love to get, to get more interest in it. God, we would, uh, I would love that. And, uh, I think that, uh, uh, the work that you do is great and we would love to have you back on air. Uh, Dr. Sherry, uh, Taylor, uh, please feel free to come back anytime. Thanks. Uh, as I think that the work that you're doing is really, uh, amazing and certainly I think incredibly important. And I think it's work that everybody needs to know about because I think that the idea of kind of being stuck working with medications that we have seen over the course of of several decades have been ineffective it's just it's it's ref, it's refreshing to see that medicine is moving in a direction that's actually really helping people and not necessarily lining the pockets of of big pharma so dr sherry taylor uh who is the study coordinator uh, for the use of uh, psychedelics uh in uh, mental health disorders uh if anybody's looking for information you want to give your email address again Info.nolaresearch at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so very much, and we'd love to have you back. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. And uh, um, Resistance Radio is coming up next. Thank you.